you so much for your word. We thank you for the hope, Lord, that you give us, the truth that you give us. Father, we desperately need your word in our lives. We desperately need it to transform our hearts. Lord, it is far too often that we come to your word stubborn. Lord, that we come to your word knowing what we want you to say to us. And so we're not willing to listen. And so, Lord, would you work in our hearts today that we would be willing to hear your word, that we would, Lord, long to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ who we have been studying. Would you do that, Father? And pray that I would be faithful to what's in the text, Lord, and that all those that you have brought here this morning by your sovereign hand, it's no accident that we're here this morning, looking at this particular passage, would we be faithful to listen and to apply? In Christ's name we pray, pray for the glory of the Father. Amen. So turn, if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 5. Uh, as we've been moving through the book of John, I knew I was going to get to John 17, and I've been excited from day one. But before we do that, we're going to pick up here where we left off last week talking about prayer. So I, I actually heard from quite a few people uh, during the week that last week's sermon uh, where we ended discussing prayer was, was convicting and it was encouraging, um, more convicting probably for most people, when it came to your prayer lives, which is great. So, so we talked about two main things last week. We, we, we talked first about what did Jesus actually accomplish when he left the disciples. And we said that what he truly accomplished, when you get right down to it, was bringing his followers into a right relationship with the Father. We need to get that right first. He didn't just, it wasn't just we said, you know, when we meet Jesus, that our lives get better, that we are more at peace, that, that, that we, we we're, we're, um, win our battles against things like anger and anxiety and fear. and all. It's more than that when we meet Jesus. What those are all symptoms and those are all fruit. What actually happens is that we get into a right relationship with the Creator God. And we, we have to get that right. He told them last week, He said, The Father Himself loves you. And the second thing we saw was right after this, we saw that Jesus immediately began to talk to the disciples about prayer about prayer. They were now to ask the Father. They wouldn't ask Jesus, he said. And he also said he wouldn't ask the Father for them. They would have direct access to the Creator, the Father, God themselves. And so what should they do? They should pray. And sure enough, last week we went to Acts chapter 6, and we saw that what did these very men do when they began to preach and they began to proclaim. And we saw in Acts chapter 6, they devoted themselves to two things, the ministry of the Word and prayer. In fact, for them, prayer was so important. They said, we don't have time to care for the Greek widows because we have to pray. And so there's this connection here. So I wanted to start off this week, since we've been thinking about it last week and we're still going to think about it some this week. I want to start off this week with a couple of recommendations for you guys that will help you. If you're wanting to refocus on your prayer life, if that's something you've been thinking about this week. And so 
I've got two book recommendations. Are you surprised? You're probably not if you know me. I've got book recommendations here for you. And the first book that, that um, I've, I'm going to mention here, I have actually mentioned this book before. I have found it to be very helpful. Um, it's, it's actually a book of prayers. Uh, we've used it here uh, in the church. The idea with this is that you're, you're coming into the room with somebody who is a master at, at praying. And I think you can say that. You can, you can grow in your ability to pray. And so the idea is that you're coming into the room with somebody who's a master at praying, and you're listening to how they pray. You're paying attention to what they're doing. And then ultimately you start praying along with them. And then ultimately when you begin to pray on your own over time, if you've been sitting with these prayers in your own prayer life, they're going to form your prayers, and it will be so much richer and deeper. And again, we've read some of these before. Um, the book is called Psalms, and you will find it in the middle of your Bible. I'm going to be honest. I do not believe it is possible for you to truly go deep in your prayer life if you do not spend a massive amount of time personally in the book of Psalms. I just don't believe it's possible, and I don't think you could conv convince me otherwise. Years ago, I set the goal for myself to do one psalm a week. I would just focus on that psalm all week long. I'd read it over and over again. I'd pray through it every day. I would mark it up. I would take notes. You know, there's a lot of psalms. It took me a few years to do this. It was the best thing that ever happened to my prayer life, though. The Bible teaches us to pray. And you, you ought not ever forget that. There is a connection between what you are taking in through the Word because you're hearing from God and then what you're communicating. In the Psalms, it takes time. We should just go ahead and recognize that. There's, uh, I'm going to be talking about this next week during the membership thing, but one of the things I want us to think about this year is um, things over efficiency. Community over efficiency. Relationship with God over efficiency efficiency. We don't want to be efficient in our relationship with God. We want to be deep and rich in our relationship with God. And that takes time. You think of David. David had a busier schedule than all of us did. David was a king. David had massive amounts of family drama that was happening constantly. David had armies. He had a kingdom. It took time, though, to sit down and craft these psalms. It didn't just happen on a whim. So the psalms is book recommendation number one. The second book is, is one that I think may help you understand a, a little bit better the reality that God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we want Him to oftentimes. That's something we all struggle with. I had conversations with people about that this week. And it's good for us to know that just because God does not answer our prayers the way we want, doesn't mean that God is not engaging with us. Uh, this book is called Habakkuk. And I would also encourage you, it gives you a glimpse between the, a conversation between the prophet and God. And I would encourage you, spend some time in the book of Habakkuk as well. And think about what is happening between Habakkuk and God as Habakkuk asks questions of God. And the answers that God gives are his answers. They're clearly not the ones that Habakkuk was coming and looking for. Good reminder to us as we pray. And so the point is with that, 
You just you don't have to go outside of Scripture to learn how to pray. In fact, you you really you really learn how to pray being in Scripture. Now, if you do want two books outside of Scripture that help, um, the two that I I highly recommend actually take you back into Scripture. Uh, one of them is called Praying the Bible by Don Whitney, and we have free copies right over there on the table. So if you, if you want to just grab one, they're free, Praying the Bible. This is Don Whitney taking you to the Bible and showing you how to use Scripture to guide your prayer life. I highly recommend that. Second book that I'd recommend is uh, by D.A. Carson, and it's called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. A Call to Spiritual Reformation. And the reason I recommend it is because he takes you to the Apostle Paul. And he looks at and he examines what are Paul's prayers doing? And so he pushes you back as well to Scripture because the real point is it's through a relationship with God, through the way He's spoken to us, that you and I are going to learn how to pray. So I would strongly recommend it. Give it time. Get to work. Chip away at it. You will not become a a master at praying overnight. And so often that's our, our problem too, isn't it? We want this quick and easy answer. We we see somebody who we just think, wow, they, they are excellent at this. They, they do this so well. And we want to be able to do that tomorrow. Is there, is there a way that I can, I can just jump to that? And I would encourage you, instead of, instead of thinking just on, on a short-term scale, think about what would you like your relationship and your prayer life with God to be five years from now? In five years, what would you like it to be? Then you can reach that goal if you set it now and you work towards it and give yourself time and patience. Give it time and get to work. I start with that because it does tie in great with what we're getting to here because here's the thing about the sec- this section th- that's really amazing. So Jesus tells the disciples they're going to be able to come to the Father. They're going to be able to ask Him anything because the Father Himself loves them. And then what does Jesus do? after he finishes up that section. This is not an accident at all. He himself turns to the Father and he prays. And what does he pray about? He prays about the relationship that he has with the Father and the relationship the Father has with him and his followers. It's connected to what he just said. And we're getting a glimpse here into Jesus' own prayer. So let's just read the opening lines, the first five verses of John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have just two points this morning, and the first one is Jesus teaches us about prayer. Jesus teaches us about prayer. When he'd spoken to the disciples, so so when he had finished preparing them for the fact that he's leaving them, that they're going to be on their own, that yes, He has plans for them, but they'll now have a new relationship with the Father that ought to lead them to pray to the Father constantly and consistently. Jesus sets the example Himself. 
he prays. And he really is setting the example here, by the way. As I've said before, you know, I talked with several of y'all this week. And one thing that's a theme to struggling with prayer is that either A, we're struggling to believe that God is answering our prayers, or B, we're tired of just continuing to ask God for things. But look what's happened here in John 17. And see a really important reminder for you and I about prayer. So Jesus, again, last week made this connection between the disciples' new relationship with the Father in prayer. And they're simply praying just, just to ask God for things. They're not doing that. Actually, are they? The idea is that you are, the relationship with God is connected to speaking to God. We are praying because we are in a relationship with God. And that is how relationships grow. That is how relationships stay healthy. And that's how they ultimately flourish, isn't it? When a marriage goes bad, oftentimes one of the storylines is that the couple got so busy with their own lives that they only talked when they needed things from each other. They had to make decisions about the kids, so they talked about the kids. They had to make decisions about finances, stuff like that. That's when they talked, but they stopped simply talking to each other because they liked each other, because they enjoy being together, because they were in a relationship. It happens as a marriage. It happens, I think about similar things happen when friends go into businesses together. Soon, the conversations between those friends are really just all about their business. And eventually, the things that actually brought them together as friends, the conversations they had that actually united them, they don't have time for them anymore. And so all they do is they talk about the business things and their relationship. And then oftentimes what happens? The friendship dies. And so Jesus provides for us the perfect example here. Think of this. What need does Jesus have to pray? I mean, really? What functional, pragmatic need does Jesus have? He's the Son of God. He has willingly condescended to be here. He is in perfect unity with the Father already. Why does He pray here, and why did He regularly through His time here on earth go away to pray? The answer is because he was in a relationship with the Father. And that's what you do. You engage. If you're not praying, if you're not setting time and you're not stepping away to pray simply because you are in a relationship with God and for no other reason, then I don't think you'll ever fully understand why we're called to pray. Because we're called to pray because of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross and through the resurrection to make us a child of God. Parents, you know, and especially as your children get older, 
You know what a blessing it is when your child chooses to come and talk with you and speak with you. It's a sign of a, of a healthy relationship. Again, you read the Psalms and you see a prayer life in the Psalms that isn't simply centered on asking God for things. I mean, does the psalmist ask God for things? Yes, all the time. But that's not all he does. And that's not all that you find in the Psalms. It's about living life actually with God, in light of God, and recognizing God in every part of it. So again, you know, we could make a parallel here to marriage. A wise husband does not simply recognize that his wife does amazing things, or that she's particularly gifted in areas, or that she makes his life uh, easier and more joyful. Do, do you know what a, a wise husband does besides simply recognize that? He tells her that. He tells her regularly. He tells her consistently. And by doing so, he makes her happy. And he fixes his own mind on her by taking the time to set his mind to telling her and speaking to her. A, a wise wife does the exact same thing. Speaking, communicating, not needs, not requests, not demands, just speaking without asking for a thing, simply enjoying them. Psalm 33 exists for no other reason than to praise the Lord. For the word of the Lord is upright and all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of His mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. He goes on and on and all He does is say, the Lord is amazing in this way. And He's amazing in that way. And He's done this amazing thing. There's no other reason for it to exist than to just stop and recognize this God who has willingly condescended to know us is amazing, is precious, more precious than anything else. And you know, David also, so we, we can think of just speaking for no other reason than praising, but we can also think of, of speaking to him simply to recognize what he's done for us, to thank him or to submit to him. David speaks to the Lord when the Lord is taking care of him. In Psalm 32, in Psalm 32, David's not asking for anything there. He's just simply speaking to the Lord about how God has cared for him. Even in his sin, God cared for him. Even in his sorrow, God cared for him. And David simply praised and recognized the Lord for what he had done. Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Again, this, this psalm exists. Why? Really, the only answer is this psalm exists because David was in a relationship with God. And this is what you do. So make sure that you see here, as you see Jesus, the Son of God, the Eternal Son, turning to the Lord and praying. He's setting for us the example. 
that prayer at its core is about living in a constant relationship with God. So when we ask that question, then then it, it shifts our thinking when I say, how is your prayer life doing? What's your prayer life like? Is it, is it just a list of requests that you're in some measure of frustration over the answers or not answers you're getting to them? Because if that's the case, then I would challenge you. The, the problem is not God and how he's responding in prayer. The problem is we don't have a big enough picture of what prayer is. And maybe we don't have a big enough picture of what we're here for. Why we're, why we're here at all. And so Jesus teaches us this about prayer. The second thing this morning we see, we see what Jesus is saying here as he begins the prayer. And our second point is that Jesus tells us the story. What story? Jesus tells us the story of why you and I are here. The story that explains why prayer is more than asking requests, but actually living in relationship with God. Jesus tells us that story here. And this chapter, John 17, it's just so precious to us, isn't it? It's so precious because, I mean, Christian, you, you know what we're seeing here. We are seeing a glimpse into the relationship between the Father and the Son. We're seeing the unity that they have, the, the unity of purpose that they have. And they, and they share the same desire in that purpose. Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So they both, the Father and the Son, they both see this as a moment of glory. Think about that. Because what is this moment? And this is the cross. This is the cross. This is the crucifixion. He's going from this moment to go into trial, a sham trial, to be murdered. This is the moment of glory. That's what they say. And why? Because this is the work that he came here to do. Which reminds us of the story that we are in. It's a story where you and I, apart from Jesus doing this work in this moment of glory, you and I are condemned. You and I are hopeless. You and I are separated from God by our sin. You and I deserve not God's mercy, not His love. We deserve His wrath. We deserve an eternity of condemnation. We deserve, nobody in Scripture talked about hell more than Jesus. And apart from Jesus doing this work, you and I deserve hell. And our relationship to God looks like one where when we stand before Him honestly, our hearts bared, we don't get to cover them up the way we, we like to cover them up. We don't get to put the nice clothes on. We don't get to, you know, make ourselves look good. We don't get to justify and explain the reasons why we do it. No, when we stand before God and everything is laid bare and all of our petty thoughts and all of our sinfulness and all of our rebelliousness and all of it is just revealed right there, the relationship we have with God in that moment is one where obviously we are going to realize that we deserve condemnation from Him. 
And if God is perfectly just, which He is, He is perfectly just. He cares about justice more than any of us could possibly comprehend. So if He's just, every wrong deed will be repaid. Every sin will be punished. Every single one of them. Because perfect justice would demand every single evil act get its just reward. Even the tiny ones, even yours, and even mine. That's the relationship that we have with God unless this moment of glory happens. And in this moment of glory, Jesus comes to the cross. We read Psalm 22 during the service. It's a glimpse of what happens on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus takes on those things about us that break our relationship to the Father, our sin. Jesus takes them Himself because He's the perfect Passover lamb. He's the substitute. He's perfectly pure. He takes those on Himself and God remains perfectly just by punishing Jesus. He he pays for us. And that is the moment of glory, and what did it accomplish? This reminds us of what Jesus said to the disciples about the the pain of childbirth last week. Because the moment of glorification that the Father and Son are talking about here, it is an awful moment. It's, It's full of the most intense, eternal pain and suffering imaginable. But the results are amazing. And we'll just focus on one thing today. What does he say? And this is eternal life. Through that moment of glory comes eternal life for us that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you see that? What is eternal life? Is eternal life that you'll live forever? Is eternal life that you'll never die? Is eternal life that you'll go to paradise forever? No, that's that's not what he says. What is eternal life? It's knowing God. The only true God. And Jesus Christ, who was sent by God to save us. And so we make that connection not just to prayer, but we make that connection to our whole life. What is eternal life? What's the point of it? What's the story that Jesus is telling us here? You exist, Christian, to know God. I said it last week, the most amazing thing about you, hands down. I'm looking out here and I know everybody in here and I I know amazing things about most of you. The amazing thing about you, though, the most amazing thing, hands down, no question, I I don't even fully understand it. Christian, if you're in Christ here this morning, if you have confessed your sin, if you have trusted in the work that Jesus has done, you know God. He loves you. He doesn't just know you. He loves you. you. You could right now 
you could speak to the creator of the universe and he would listen. That is the most amazing thing about you. And it will always be the most amazing thing about you. And we have to set our minds right. And again, it's not just about prayer. It's about all of life. So when it comes to knowing God this way, uh, Michael Imlet, who's a biblical counselor, he said something I read this week that was really helpful. He was talking about people who minister to others. He was talking about, he was talking about people who, who study the Bible to, to, to give counsel, to care for others. And we have a lot of caring people here. We have a lot of people here who you have people that you care for. You have people that you minister to. You have people that you're thinking about. And he had a challenging thing, and it was challenging to me. He talked about how those who minister to others can very easily have a shallow relationship with God themselves. Because they only study to talk to others and to tell others what they need to hear instead of themselves. It's easy in ministry, he says, to live more as a pipe than a reservoir. That is, it's easy to live merely as a conduit to others of the transforming truths of God's Word rather than as a changed and transformed reservoir who overflows with lived out gospel truth. And I thought that was really helpful. And again, because I know that a lot of you in here, you, you have people that, that you care for. You have people that you minister to. You, you have people that you are responsible to for speaking the truth, whether that's in your home, whether that's at your workplace, whether that's your job. This is a challenge to us. This is not just a resource for helping others. It's a resource to transform you. And God is not just offering a one-time use, get out of jail free card. He's not offering some sort of eternal life insurance plan that you can just take advantage of. He's also not content that you would use him to help somebody else improve their life when you don't know him at all. He gives a relationship. We love John 17 because here we're seeing these, the, the eternal son and the eternal father. You know, we started the gospel of John with an introduction to these two beings. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's who we're talking about here. These two beings are are who we're talking about here in John 17. One of them is speaking to the other about what they are doing in this world. And this is the story. The story. The story. You know, what story are you and I trying to live in? Because we can try and create our own stories. But here, this is where we have to submit to Scripture. The eternal Word, 
who was with God and was God, is speaking to God, the Father, and saying, this was the plan. In a moment, I'm going to go and be the, the perfect Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And the reason to do that is so that my followers, those who love me, those who follow me, those who obey me, those who trust in me, will have eternal life. And eternal life is a relationship with the Father and the Son who was sent by the Father. That's the story. But what story are you and I living in? Have we made a different story for ourselves? Have we made a story where we're the one at the center? Because the story that you actively live in in your mind, it's going to change everything about how you live. It's going to explain the things that are happening around you. If you're the center of your story, then that's going to change how you view everybody around you. They exist for you in some way or another. And if they don't exist for you, then they're an antagonist in your story because they're not helping you out and your story is about you. Rightly understanding the story that you and I are in the middle of is going to help us to engage in the world around us. And, it's go and, and sometimes we need to help each other because we're acting like we're living in a different story than the one that God is telling. You're living in a story where the most important thing about you is that you know God. So if you accept that and you throw yourself into that, how is that going to change the way that you live? If you live in the story where the king, your king, who has made all of this, says that you are to love others as he loved you, well, does that not change how you live? That you would do unto others as you would have done unto you. Why? Because you know the story you live in, and you're not the center of that story. You are blessed to be a part of it. You are unbelievably blessed and privileged by God himself, not by you, to be a part of it. Are we throwing ourselves into the story that Jesus is telling here? Or are we demanding our own. And so, that's a good question for you to wrestle with. What story are you telling yourself about why you are here? What story are you telling yourself about why things are happening to you? Maybe you're telling the story where everybody's just out to get you. You don't deserve this. Maybe it's a story where you deserve more than you're getting. I would challenge you this week. We are seeing the Word and the Father here. And we're seeing the story. This is the one that's going to come true, ultimately. This is the one that's going to work out exactly the way the storyteller intends it to work out. You and I as storytellers, I don't know if you know this by now, but you can't make your story turn out the way you want it to. <laughs> this is not going to happen. You can try all you want. But at some point, you're going to give up. 
This is the story that's going to play out because these are the storytellers who can actually bring it into being. So make sure you see here. What are we doing here? What are you doing here? You're here to live in a relationship with God. Here in John 17, Jesus has shown us that the story that He cares about is the one where the ultimate reason for even existing, the ultimate reason for even existing is to know God. And we begin to know Him now through His Word and through prayer. And we will continue to know Him and live in relationship with Him for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much that You lived this out in front of us. We also know that Jesus did not need to publicly pray in this way. It was done for our benefit so that we can learn, so that we can emulate Him, so we can see what He prioritized in this life, which is His glory and Your glory and changing us. And so, Father, I pray. I pray first for our own prayer lives, Lord. I pray that this week we would be challenged to just simply speak to You so much more than we do. Come to You with so much more of our lives than we do. That, Lord, we would set ourselves to speak to You about things, Lord, that have nothing to do with a request. But that we would seek to just simply know You and understand You and in that way, Lord, I think as we come to understand and know your mind and your heart, we'll understand how you answer your prayers so much better. Lord, I pray that everybody here would give themselves patience and time, that we would all understand that we are, we are children, we're infants, speaking to you, our Father. There's no need to rush. Lord, help us with that. We want to rush everywhere. And Father, help us as well to see what Jesus says here about the story, that, the truth, the reality that we live in. And Lord, may we submit our lives to that. May we find the joy in understanding what we were created for and who we were created for and what we are meant to do here. And would you change us and transform us by your word through the power of the Spirit, in the name of the Son, for the glory of the Father. Amen.